Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Listen for what God is saying. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressed against you? Yet you asked, who touched you? Who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward, knowing what had happened to her. She fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of serving as pastor here at um, Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn, um, to journey with you um, in the questions and also struggle with the questions with you as well. Um, I serve uh, alongside many of the folks that you've seen up front here and many people who don't get the glory of being up front but um, still show up faithfully um, every week to help us do what we do and be who we are. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this space, um, this opportunity to carve out uh, a little bit of um, head space, heart space, spirit space to encounter you in maybe a new way. And so you know where each of us are um, in our journeys at this moment, the things that are weighing heavily on us, the questions that are stirring up within us, our joys and our sorrows. And I pray that your spirit would both meet us in those spaces, but also clear away the clutter of our minds so that we might be present to hear what it is that you have to say to us in this moment. Speak through me, uh, because of me, and also in spite of me, so that your word might be heard more clearly, that we might leave this space challenged, comforted, renewed in our imaginations for who you are and who we could be in you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, uh, I got an email from Equality Illinois inviting me to purchase tickets to the Chicago opening night of the Broadway musical Hamilton. Now, I actually didn't know that much about the show, but I knew enough to say, heck yeah, right? Um, so I bought a couple of tickets, and then after uh, reading a, a few articles about it, I realized I might be able to better follow the show if I listened to the songs beforehand. There's 22,000 words in that, in that play, because most of them are wrapped. Um, so the afternoon of the performance, I did, did something I've never done before, which is I binge listened to a musical. And that night, I was as ready as I would be to take the show in. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Hamilton, it's uh, important to know that this is a hip-hop story. At least, that's how the creator and writer Lin-Manuel Miranda describes it, the story of a kid who was ravaged by the larger systems and structures that shaped his world, left him on the streets at a young age, and had to scrap and scrape and hustle hard to rise up. He knew enough to know enough that he better not miss his shot when it showed up in the form of, um, of revolution. Alexander Hamilton, then, is all over the place. He goes from rebel to war hero as uh, George, Washington, right, George Washington's right-hand man. He's a loving husband and a cheating scoundrel. He's caught in the country's first uh, political sex scandal. He's the first uh, uh, treasury head whose backroom dealings convinced an untrusting world to believe in the American economy. George Washington, Eliza Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, and Hamilton's lifelong frenemy, Aaron Burr, all make their mark on this in this musical storytelling. And as I watched the show, I was totally swept up with its relevant take on political dynamics, clever lyrics, and non-traditional casting. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We fought for these ideals, we shouldn't settle for less. These are wise words, enterprising men quote them. Don't act surprised, you guys, cause I wrote them. Ow, but Hamilton forgets. His plan would have the government assume state debts. Now place your bets as to who that benefits. The very seat of government where Hamilton sits. Not true. Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. If New York's in debt, why should Virginia bear it? Uh, our debts are paid, I'm afraid. Don't tax the South, cause we got it made in the shade. In Virginia, we plant seeds in the ground. We create, you just wanna move our money around. This financial plan is an outrageous demand, and it's too many damn pages for any man to understand. Stand with me in the land of the free. Pray to God we never see Hamilton's candidacy. Look, when Britain taxed our tea, we got frisky. Imagine what gonna happen when you try to tax our whiskey. Thank you, Secretary Jefferson. Secretary Hamilton, your response. Thomas, that was a real nice declaration. Welcome to the present, we're running a real nation. Would you like to join us? Or staying mellow, doing whatever the hell it is you doing, Monticello. If we assume the debts, the union gets a new line of credit, a financial diuretic, how do you not get it? If we're aggressive and competitive, the union gets a boost, you'd rather give it a sedative? A civics lesson from a slaver, hey neighbor, your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. We plant seeds in the south, we create, they keep ranting. We know who's really doing the planting. <laughs> I left the theater in awe with a fresh kind of lightness in my spirit. I felt that something powerful had shifted within me. I had just witnessed this high-level performance reflecting something that intersected with my experience of the world. Not the suspension of self and virtual reality lens that I was so used to putting on to enter the powdered wigs and genteel slave ownership of revolutionary America. This was a story told by someone whose worldview and speech orientation knew something about the sting of poverty, the edge of desperation that scrapping and struggling can create, and I was grateful. And then I was troubled, because for such a hyper-aware and modern musical that takes into account the concerns of the day, I realized that there was one glaring omission. While there are mentions of those on whose backs the project of America was built, there was no mention of those on whose necks 
this story stands. No mention that all these battles took place on the lands of the Powhatan tribe of modern-day Virginia, the Choptank of Maryland, the Erie of Pennsylvania, or the Potatuck Iroquois, or countless others who called these lands by names that had nothing to do with the monarchical, Christian-endorsed efforts of colonization and capitalism. For a musical that ends with a story whose lyrics ask, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, I was painfully aware of whose story was left untold. But even Lin-Manuel Miranda himself recognizes this to some extent. He shares this uh, in a um, commencement speech to the University of Pennsylvania. The simple truth is this. Every story you choose to tell by necessity omits others from the larger narrative. One could write five totally different musicals from Hamilton's eventful, singular American life without ever overlapping incidents. For every detail I chose to dramatize, there are 10 I left out. I dramatize, I include King George at the expense of Ben Franklin. I dramatize Angelica Schuyler's intelligence and heart at the expense of Benedict Arnold's betrayal. James Madison and Hamilton were friends and political allies, but their personal and political fallout occurs right on our act break during intermission. My goal is to give you as much of an evening as musical entertainment can provide and have you on your way at home slightly before Les Mis lets out next door. Storytelling and storytellers have a choice to make, right? They get who gets named and who doesn't, who, what gets emphasized and what gets left on the cutting floor. It's a necessity. Otherwise, you get stuck in a three-hour slideshow of tell, someone telling you about their semester studying abroad in Lebanon, which is exactly what I did to my family. <laughs> but as imperfect or incomplete as they may be, stories must be told, must be heard, and must be contended with. And so over the next four weeks, for a bit of fun, um, we'll be focusing on mu how musicals have told stories and how they can help us understand the stories in our own faith tradition. One of those stories can be found in our passage today, in the middle of a crowd following Jesus as he makes his way to heal a little girl who is gravely ill. There, amidst people pressed together, is our once upon a time. In this case, it's, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Behind this one sentence is a story 12 years in the making. It started with a drop of blood that turned into a constant stream, resulting in personal debilitations and compounded by public humiliations. Because of her unending menstrual flow, this woman was considered unclean and was cut off both socially and religiously. Jewish laws dictated that she couldn't have contact with anyone at the risk of making them unclean. And so 12 years later, after hearing that Jesus is in the house, she's throwing everything out the window. Pressing through the crowd, she makes every single person she touches unclean. But she has been shut out, set aside and silenced for long enough. If I could just touch his clothes thinks. And by this one moment of self-determination, of asserting that her story counted, that she deserved as much of Jesus' attention, grace, and healing as anyone else, this woman made people see her. And when she reaches him, Jesus doesn't see her, but he feels her draw power from him. By her boldness of reaching out, she was healed. Now, our passage says that she was healed, and if you weren't looking closely, you would miss kind of the nuance of what was happening, because this word healed is the translation of two different things going on. When the woman goes to him in the crowd, in her mind, she uses this Greek word, sozos, which is about relief from suffering. If I even touch his garments, I'll be relieved from my suffering. 
Our translation says that when she goes to Jesus and touches his garment, her illness has stopped, that she's been healed, cured. But they use a different word, yomai, which means cured. Her bleeding stopped immediately. Her illness had been cured. You see the difference? It's, a, it's very, um, it's slight, but it's there. I'll say it again in a different way. She was cured, but not relieved from her suffering. And I know this, we know this, because when Jesus asks who it was that touched him, this woman could have melted away in the crowd, right? She was healed. Uh, but there was something in her that, wouldn't, that she had allowed to be opened up that then would not allow herself to be sunk back into obscurity so easily. So when he inquires, she decides to make herself and her story known in a way that she never had before. She would no longer be blocked, uh, locked in shame or embarrassment. She stands up, she approaches Jesus, everyone's looking at her, right? And she tells him and everyone else who can hear her the truth. The whole truth of who she is and what she has done. She tells her story, and it is by this, by the courage to speak her truth and the faith that she had in Jesus' compassion to hold that, to receive that, it is this that saved her from her suffering. Jesus tells her, daughter, your faith has not only cured you, but it has healed you. Sozos. Go in peace. It wasn't until she touched Jesus that healing came to the woman's body, but it wasn't until she told her story, made herself known, that wholeness came to her soul, which is to say that wholeness came to her community. Now, at Urban Village Church, we have a tradition of sharing testimony, as you saw earlier, because we believe that telling true stories can save lives. We believe this. When we let go of our shame, our fear, our anxieties, and bring our whole selves to God and to one another, tremendous healing can happen for you and for those around you. Because when you share your story, you open up the imaginations of those around you. The woman may have been physically bleeding for 12 years, but you can be sure that there were at least a few others in the crowd who had been spiritually bleeding for just as long. And so what are the barriers to telling your story? What, what do you need to overcome to deconstruct, to remove those barriers? Your story, each of our stories, needs to be heard. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of others too. Not for entertainment, but for healing. Because if we don't tell our stories, they will never be heard. Or worse yet, someone else will tell them for us. And this can be dangerous. Here's what the brilliant author, uh, Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie had to say about that. So that is how to create a single story. Show a people. So that is how to create a single story. Show a people as one thing, as only one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become. It is impossible to talk about the single story without talking about power. There is a word, an Igbo word, that I think about whenever I think about the power structures of the world, and it is nkale. It's a noun that loosely translates to, to be greater than another. Like our economic and political worlds, stories too are defined by the principle of nkale. How they are told, who tells them, when they are told, how many stories are told, are really dependent on power. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. 
The Palestinian poet Murid Baghouti writes that if you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start with secondly. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. I recently spoke at a university where a student told me that it was such a shame that Nigerian men were, were <coughs> physical abusers like the father character in my novel. I told him that I had just read a novel called American Psycho. <laughs> and, and that it was such a shame that young Americans were serial murderers. <laughs> now, now. If the woman in our passage today had not stood up and told her story, the only story that anyone would know to tell about her was that she was unclean and to be avoided at all costs. It was a shameful story that put her in the shadows and that she believed for 12 years. But because of her encounter with Jesus, the woman was no longer ashamed. And not just because her body had been healed. How many of us carry trauma long after an event has occurred? No, she was no longer ashamed because Jesus had called her forth and granted her the dignity that she was worthy of, space to tell her story. The woman wrote a new chapter for herself when she encountered the author of life. And because of this, the crowd had a different story to tell about her, about the woman who had been sick for so long, who pushed through, found healing in her body, and was restored to the community. Now, it would be easy to interpret this story as so many others have been interpreted, right? That the power was in the healing of the body. We know that this is an ableist reading of Scripture because always throughout the Gospels, it's not so much about the healing of the body. It's about restoration to community. This woman was more than her illness. She was a child of God, beloved and beheld and belonging to God's people. She had a story worth telling. And her courage to tell it, and her courage to tell it, she made herself and the community which, to which she was restored just a little more whole. Internal emancipation for collective liberation. So what story do you need to tell? How might telling your story help the world or even just this community experience God's grace, healing, and wholeness? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? That's up to you and the God who would have you speak it. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you, the author of life, have written within us a story that deserves to be told and lived in this world. And so I pray that as we move through the things that we need to move through to gain enough curing in ourselves, that you might enable us to have that courage to be able to stand up and speak to what it is that we have experienced, to the ways that we see you at work within us and around us, and also to the pain that we experience, recognizing that when we do so, those bonds that constrict us, that keep us hidden from one another, that keep us struggling and hustling to keep up an image that is not fully who we are and not, not honoring to who you are, that we might be able to release ourselves from that and enter into the fullness of your grace as experienced by your people. 
We pray all of this with hope and trust and and a request for courage in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.